Sunward Sky, Episode 1.3 Maintenance The three giant sections surrounding the core of the Sunward Sky had begun rotating not long after it had gone into orbit. The diameter of the ship allowed the centripetal force of the rotation to act as a stand-in for gravity. It wasn't enough for the ship to be in any kind of full G equivalent. The Coriolis effect would have become far too sickening for even the most advanced spacefarers. Instead, the outer layer spun just fast enough for a lazy one-quarter of the Earth's gravity. It was enough that the absolute worst of spaceflight's effects were mitigated in the majority of the population, while still conserving energy in the ship and avoiding parts wearing out. The rooms were built such that the outer layer of the spacecraft became the floor, with only a few small sections on the edge of each subdivision allowing a view outside the window where the half-spent rocket boosters and ship core would appear to be spinning around the fixed window. The rest of the craft was lit only with artificial lighting and had no visual connection with the surrounding black. It was in the base of one of these rooms that Healy paced gently back and forth between a flat, long desk full of cadenetry and three bucket-style seats which reclined back next to a series of aluminium IV poles and ageing AMOLED displays. The carabiners clanked gently, moving in an almost balletic arc just out of time with his gait. The huge man pulled open the door to one of the cabinets and was presented with a series of medical devices attached to a Velcro wall. He hummed gruffly and flicked his hand over the various first aid items. He found a syringe and a small spray can. The Velcro rent a crisp tear in the near silence of the medical bay as he pulled it off the wall. He left the cabinet open and lurched gingerly towards the nearest bed. Alyssa lay in a state of drugged unconsciousness. The leg, where she'd nearly snapped it off on the edge of the crash couch, was a shock of plum-coloured bruises held together with a lattice of medical tape. Her shoulder had been forced back into place and likewise exhibited the purple marks of violence. At the moment, though, these couldn't be seen on her shoulder, as her shirt had been ripped off carelessly and a healing anaesthetic foam applied liberally to the whole area. Beneath her clavicle, her entire chest and stomach had been wrapped in emergency bandages and a sling had been fashioned such that it wouldn't put pressure on her neck, which was likewise obscured by the foam. Healy pulled a glove from the receptacle next to the bed and proceeded to clear away the stale foam, carefully pushing it into a tube next to him. When he was done, he wiped a cloth over the shoulder and neck where the foam had been, making sure the whole area was clean. He then applied new foam from the spray can that he'd taken with him, using his gloved hand to spread it evenly over the bruised flesh of the shoulder and the neck. Alyssa didn't flinch, but then he knew that she wouldn't. Once he'd exhausted the small can, he tossed it into the tube along with the glove and the cloth. He placed a small lid over the tube and within a few seconds a vigorous sucking sound took the contents to some undisclosed part of the ship. He removed the cap from the syringe and pushed it into the muscle of Alyssa's bicep and massaged gently. A soft groan escaped from Alyssa's lips and after a few seconds her eyelids began to flutter. Hurts, she said. I'm not surprised, Healy said. I'm more surprised you're still in one piece, to be honest with you. People don't usually come out of a bad launch looking none the worse for wear, he gestured to her leg though you are a mate more colourful than when I saw you in the terminal. What happened? Her neck and shoulders spat pain at her, but it felt as though it was coming from far away. She couldn't think straight, and the last thing she remembered was the urgent need to stop the launch. 
Seems you had a little issue with the idea of going to space. She turned a bloodshot eye towards him. Ah, don't stress about it. Happens to some people. Get into launch position, then they freak the hell out. He regarded her gravely. You should consider yourself lucky though, if I'm honest. I wouldn't recommend doing that again. He danced gently upward in the low G, and wandered away as Alyssa drifted back into a more natural sleep. A few hours later, Alyssa was free to get out of the med bay bed. It took her a few tries to get it right. She used too much force the first few times that a low-gravity environment nearly launched herself into the ceiling with every step. She found she was enormously thirsty. Her right arm was still stuck in the sling, so she pulled a cup out of the Velcro and pressed it into the sink under the tap. To her surprise, the water sluiced sideways out of the tap and Healy chuckled beside her. I was waiting for that. Gotta get used to the spin, lady. You're not on terror no more. She ignored him and stared up at the grimy mirror behind the tap. She looked terrible. The blood pooling beneath her skin in black and purple puddles that ran along the veins under her skin. And the bloodshot in her sunken eye sockets haunted her pallid face. She knew she had to tell someone about what she'd seen on the two men at the terminal. She'd not realised at first that the container they'd had must have been part of what was supposed to be going up on the sunward sky, until the captain had said it in his message, of course. She watched Healy amble aimlessly around the medbay, reattaching stray devices and supplies to the Velcro walls and locking the cabinetry together with a series of tight snicks. The shuffling and locking down struck her as the mindless ritual of one who had been performing such tasks for many years. It had become ingrained in his psyche. Leaving items unattended in the medical bay wasn't a matter of personal pride in the workspace. For people in space, leaving these things available to fly around in sudden changes of attitude or acceleration were a death trap. He seemed content and was humming gruffly to himself while he allowed her some privacy with the mirror. Her head was still cloudy and she wanted to make sure that what she'd seen had actually been linked to the sabotage before she bothered the man. To him, she was just a first-time space cadet who'd made a stupid mistake on the launch and she worried that she'd be seen as hysterical if she started spouting conspiracies at him. She turned again to the mirror, a polished sheet of aluminium set into the wall, and stared at herself, staring into the nightmare of her face and forcing her breath to slow. She counted to five, in, then held for two, then out. After a few minutes of this, her heart rate had dropped enough that she could speak to Healy without giving away her nerves and making him ask her awkward questions. She pushed herself away from the bench and turned around too forcefully in the low G, sending herself sprawling and bouncing clumsily off the floor once again. Healy's gruff laugh followed her down the room. You'll get used to it, he said. Probably too used to it. A couple of months and you'll feel awful heavy when you get back down to Terra. You'll end up like me and the rest of the old boys. Here you go. The shaking in his body was gone, she noticed, as he hoisted her gently up from the ground. She opened her mouth to thank him, but was interrupted by the ship's intercom system. All personnel, report to main decks for post-launch maintenance and work allotment. Repeat, all personnel to main decks for post-launch work allotment. Alyssa looked at Healy. Me too, she said, gesturing down to the sling and the shoulder covered in medical foam. Healy nodded. You too. We'll need everyone to be doing something. Even if all we get you to do is go around and check the switches. I don't even know where the main deck is, she said. Ah, no worries. There's four, actually. 
one in the central shaft for when the ship's under thrust, and one in each of the rotating wings. Ours is about 50 meters down the hall, if you follow me. With that, he wheeled out of the room and set off at a brisk clip. Alyssa bounced along after him, trying to work out how to propel herself forward effectively in the low gravity without sending herself rocketing into the ceiling. She got the hang of it quickly, but it needed a lot of concentration not to lapse back into that earthside habit of pushing too firmly upward. What needs maintenance? she asked Healy, who continued to rhythmically thump-clank his way down the hall, not seeming to realise that the small woman was much slower than he was at navigating low-gravity hallways. Oh, usually nothing serious, he said. Just, well, Sky's an old ship. She doesn't really like it when you pour a shitload of thrust down her gullet. Things break. If it was something serious, you'd know already, but the head crew will normally send out a work party to make the things ship-shape, pardon with the pun. And everyone does the work? Of course. No dead weight on any shipwide tasks. It's not like we've got room for excess personnel up here, he grunted, and Alyssa realized that this grunt was a small piece of laughter. The hallway was barely wide enough to fit the two abreasts, and Healy slouched under the structural steel bolt heads that occurred every few meters. LED strip lights cast a uniform glow over the near featureless walls, broken only by doorways here and there, which were labeled according to their use. After a short while, Healy brought himself to a stop and turned right to what looked like for all the world like a school cafeteria. Metal tables folded out of the floor with chairs underslung from them, and on one wall, a hole to a galley suggested this main deck doubled as a crew mess. Over the next few minutes, a few dozen people filtered in through the door Healy and Alyssa had come through, or else from an identical door at the other end of the station. Finally, a crisp young woman with a severe haircut and a large hand tablet walked through the door and the room fell silent. Welcome aboard. My name is Petty Officer War. I'll be assigning post-launch works to each of you, and you have the next six hours to complete it. Those who have the ability to undertake spacewalks or major mechanical repairs will have these tasks prioritized for you. Does anyone have any questions? Alyssa went to raise her hand, but someone shouted first. Yeah, hi, do we know who attempted sabotage on the ship yet? Alyssa shot a look across the room. The voice had come from a svelte-looking man with wavy hair and a well-trimmed beard. She burned the image of his profile and clothing into her mind. She'd need to remember his face. Petty Officer War regarded him sternly. I'm sorry, Mr... Holding, the man said. Well, Mr. Holding. I'd appreciate it if you didn't say such things to the group. We've got no indication that what occurred here actually was sabotage. Seems though it was a simple matter of someone forgetting to load the cargo shuttle by the cutoff time. Holding moved to reply, but War had turned from him already. Anyone else? She spoke over his sputtering attempts to rebut. Alyssa held her good arm up and Healy hollered to get the officer's attention. Ah, yes, War said. We seem to have a new fish, eager to fling ourselves from the safety of the bowl. We'll find a job for you to do one-handed. With that, the tasks were handed around the room. Mr. Holding got a job on the ship's exterior. Apparently a piece of the heat shield had shaken itself loose and needed replacing. He was paired off with a tall, thin man who had what looked like years of experience under his belt. As for Alyssa, she was assigned to simply attend to each working quarter of the ship and ensure that nothing had been knocked off from the Velgo cabinetry during launch. It was lucky that the spin gravity was so slight. Even the lack of weight forces pressing down on her, she could tell that her knee was severely out of whack. 
The colour blooming from the joint alluded to that as well, of course. The limp she adopted was slight but noticeable, and her arm was in a sling and slick with the remnants of the foam. After going back to the med bay to clean herself up, she trudged out once more into the stark hallways of the ship. There were any number of people rushing past her in the narrow vault, all rushing to attend to the tasks they'd been assigned. Nobody, it seemed, was to be left idle. She had decided to take this opportunity to familiarise herself with the ship's layout. She was going to be constrained to the one rotating wing of the ship while the artificial gravity was turned on. The gangways that connected the wings to the central column had been disengaged to allow the rotation to take place. Her wing was mainly crew cabins and meeting rooms, and as she made her way aft towards the business end of the rocket boosters, the rooms became in rather more apparent need of repair. Even in space there was a hierarchy, she noted, and took a mental note of the people she saw walking in and out of the dishevelled quarters. Alyssa, a voice called from behind her. With a slight grimace of pain, Alyssa turned and saw Elise standing behind her. Elise recoiled slightly at the state of Alyssa's face, but seemed otherwise relieved to see her. Oh my god, I thought you were in serious trouble, Elise said. Apparently I got off easy, Alyssa said. You were screaming something at me, Elise said. Alyssa hesitated, but she didn't quite know why. That man, holding, had called attention to it already. It didn't seem prudent to bring attention to the fact that he knew about it, the sabotage as well. Yeah, Alyssa said. First time up. Kind of freaked. Those engines are loud. Elise didn't buy it, she could tell. But the other woman didn't seem too interested in prying any further. She nodded, then said, Well, I'm glad you're alright, before giving her a quick wave goodbye. Like Healy, Elise's hands were steady now that they were out of the Earth's atmosphere. Alyssa worked her way back towards the front of the craft, stepping carefully to avoid the injured knee. She entered any room that didn't have a locked door, and affixed any loose items to her faces in the cabinet. About halfway along the seemingly interminable hallway, she thudded past a plate mounted on the ceiling. It read CARGO in solid red letters, and on a wall next to it there was a sign. In no uncertain terms, it described the manner in which the hatchway was to be used. Only when the captain had confirmed that the wings were not rotating, and the exit hatchway was confirmed as connected securely. It took Alyssa a second to understand why the hatchway was in the ceiling, but then she got it. If the ship was under thrust, the floor she was walking on would be parallel to the direction of movement. The hatch would be a tunnel or walkway perpendicular to the thrust, and so it made sense to have it mounted that way. It would also mean that when the ship was on Earth, the cargo could be loaded in without needing to be worried about it shifting under high G load. The different orientation of gravity in the ship was starting to give her a headache. She stumped to the other end of the hall and walked into a room marked Conference Wing 2. She supposed she must be on Wing 2 of the ship. She got about three meters into the room before she realized that the windows were there, and then she stopped idly wandering and stepped slowly into the site. The prominent prow of the ship's nose cone and the aerodynamic forward mass of the ship's wing was visible. The nose cone appeared to be rotating at quite a clip above her head, but she knew in reality it was herself that was spinning around. The window looked out, and she'd known Hilo was right. There was no comparing this view with anything else. The horizon of the Earth, curving and broiling at the edges with clouds and blue tinge of oxygen-rich atmosphere, sat in juxtaposition to the endless black that surrounded it. The stars, she'd never seen so many, 
painted miniature masks of fire over the dark and threatened to overwhelm the nothingness that somehow still held sway. Far off, the moon had its own empty dominion, shading itself from the brilliant energy of the sun. The inert edges of the sunward sky sang alone in their lament to the universe's emptiness. A cold, sharp edge against which nothing fell. As she stood, transfixed and brooding over the sheer vastness of what she was experiencing, the sun rose over the curved horizon of the earth. A brilliant ray shot forth and pierced the black, and the lights on the prow of the spacecraft seemed to go dark against the sheer will of the star burning energy through the emptiness at them. A wave of vertigo washed over her as she realized how profoundly small she was, and she felt her insignificance in the scheme of the enormous universe. She didn't know how long she'd been there when she saw the two figures appear next to the prow of the enormous wing. The greeble-like texture that had been apparent on the face of the spacecraft as she ascended before liftoff was a series of guy lines and safety harnesses that could be used to attach to on spacewalks. The two men rounded the top of the wing and flipped carefully over it. A cable extended from the waist of each man with a carabiner connected to it. These extended out on a sprung reel and the carabiners were connected to the contact rails on the ship. This allowed the two men to float some metres above the spacecraft before it became necessary to take out a second carabiner and connect it to the next safety point on the hull. One of the spacesuits belonged to an obviously very long-limbed person. It was tattered around the edges and had been mended many times over. The second was pristine, but sagged strangely in the low-gravity environment, as though it wasn't properly fitting. Alyssa realised she was looking at the two men from the mess, holding, and whatever the name of the tall one was. She peered interestedly as the two men pirouetted through the void, moving across the space and clipping themselves from one contact point to the next. After a few minutes, the taller man halted and floated down to the hull of the ship to inspect. He thumbed a radio button on his arm and the other man turned around. They must have found the broken part of the heat shield, Alyssa thought. The badly fitting spacesuit of the new crew member made a thumbs up and turned away from the taller man as if to go collect something. With a movement so fast that Alyssa barely saw it, the tall man reached down and unclipped the carabiner from the safety point just as Mr. Holding's vector was pointing almost directly out from that of the sunward sky. The spring retention on the carabiner snapped the clip back into the waist of the brand new spacesuit, and Holding twisted to see what had happened. Alyssa felt, rather than saw, the creeping sense of horror that spread through the man's face behind the sun-shielded mask. Within a moment, he was twisting to and fro, trying desperately to change his direction to head back towards the ship. It was no use. The man continued to flail uselessly, as he drifted further and further from the ship. In any other situation, he'd have been able to alert people nearby with a scream for help, but not here. The cold vacuum of space turned his violent demise into a whispering death in the void. Before long, the man was out of sight, nothing more than an out-of-place speck of white in an endless field of dark stars. The taller man stood stock still, facing Holden as he scrambled his way into the endless black, and made no move to help. He was pressing the radio button on his suit, presumably to jam the frequency and stop holding from calling from help. Once he was far enough away not to be seen, the taller man turned back to the broken piece of heat shield nonchalantly, pulling a wrench from his belt and started to work the injured panel from its mount. Alyssa ducked underneath the sill of the window. Her breath ran hot through her windpipe, and she was trembling as though the space palsy already had hit her. She'd just seen a man murdered 
and she felt sure that it had something to do with asking about the sabotage. Thanks for tuning in. My name's Henry Nielsen, author and producer of Sunward Sky. If you want to get in contact, you can follow me on Twitter or Reddit by the handle Hunting Sunrise, or on Instagram at hunting underscore sunrise. If you like this story, consider picking up my ebook novella Eleanor's Mind, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Again, thank you very much, and I hope you tune in again next time.